0: So this is part one of Jacob. Jacob is a character. He is a very, very problematic patriarch. I mean, every, every character in Scripture, with one exception, is complicated and imperfect. But Jacob is really especially so. And what's interesting is that in the nomenclature of the Old Testament, you're frequently, we frequently refer to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All, and that's usually the pattern. Isaac is a very muted character. The only the only stories about Isaac in the Old Testament are really him in relation to somebody else. He's not really the main character in any of these. We're going to read about his uh, marriage to Rebecca here in a minute, but he's a pretty he's a pretty muted character. So it's interesting that that Abraham and Jacob are the two that get the most airtime. Every once in a while, uh, Joseph will be in that list, but it's, that's rare. Abraham, of course, is really universally well-regarded, even though he's imperfect. <laughs> Jacob, though, he's a rascal. So we're going we're gonna to unpack a little bit of Jacob's issues, and he's got many of them. But last week we skipped the 24th chapter, which is the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah, so we're going to go back and revisit that now. Now, Abraham was old, well-advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his house, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord. I don't hate that that custom went by the wayside, by the way. (laughs) Just side note. (laughs) The God of heaven and earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live, but will go to my country and and to my kindred and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to, said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So it's the dual promise of a land and an heir, and Abraham's not interested in going backwards, right? He's got his heir, he's got his land. They're very closely tied. or Isaac is supposed to inherit it, so he doesn't want that to be messed up in any way. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all kinds of choice gifts from his master, and he set out, and went to that place, to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water. It was toward evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master, master Abraham. I am standing here by the spring of water and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I say, please offer your jar that I may drink. And who shall say drink? And I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom I have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, there was Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the son of Nahor, Abraham's brother, coming out with her water on her shoulder, water jar on her shoulder, shoulder. The girl was very fair to look upon, a virgin whom no man had known, she went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up, then the servant ran to meet her, and said, Please give me a or sorry, please let me sip a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered her jar upon her hand, and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw for your camels also, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, and ran again to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold nose ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of straw and fodder and a place to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the way to the house of my master's kin. This, by the way, by Old Testament standards, this is a really well-told story. I mean, some some of the things are a little clunky in translation, but it's it's pretty nice, and it's very uh, reminiscent. It's echo, it echoes kind of the storytelling of the Joseph cycle, which we'll get into uh, in a couple weeks. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Not the last time we'll hear from this guy. And Laban ran out to the man to the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, <laughs> and when he'd heard the words of his sister Rebecca, thus the man spoke to me, then he went to the man. And there he was, standing by the camels at the spring. Money involved with all that gold. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside when I prepared the camel and a place for the camels? So the man came into the house, and Laban unloaded the camels and gave him straw and fodder for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told my errand. He said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become wealthy. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female slaves, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and he has given him all that he has. Laban's like, cha-ching, cha-ching, ching ching <laughs> That's awesome. Really good. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but you shall go to my father's house, to my kindred, and get a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not. that's <laughs> very, very, very um, ponderous storytelling at this point. He said to me, um, perhaps the woman will not follow me, but he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and make your way successful. You shall get a wife from my son, from my kindred, from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath. And when you come to my kindred, even if they will not give her to you, you'll be f- like, we don't need all these details again, but they're there. They are. I came today to the spring and I said, here we go. <laughs> o oh Lord, the master, the God of my master, Abraham, if now you will only make successful the way I'm going, I'm standing here by the spring of water. Let the young woman who comes out to draw to whom I shall say, please give me a drink of a little drink from your jar. And who will say to me, drink, I'll draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking, in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her water jar on her shoulder. And she went down to her spring and drew, and I said to her, please, let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulders and said, drink, and I will also water your camels. So I drank, and she also watered the camels. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? Like, this is very, very detailed. He said, um she said the daughter of bethuel and nahor's son whom Milcah bore to him so i put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms and i bowed my head and worshiped the lord and blessed the lord the god of my master abraham who had led me by the right way to obtain the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son now then if you will deal loyal loyally and truly with my master tell me and if not tell me so that i may turn either to the right hand or to the left then laban and bethuel answered Uh, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you anything bad or good. Look, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord, and the servant brought out the jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there, when they rose in the morning he said send me back to my master her brother and her mother said let the girl remain with us a while at least 10 days after that she may go but he said to them do not delay me since the lord has made my my journey successful let me go that i may go to my master they said we will call the girl and ask her and they called rebecca and said to her will you go with this man she said i will so they sent her away so they sent away their sister rebecca and her nurse along with abraham's servant and his men And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of myriads. May your offspring gain possession of the gates of their foes. It's a nice blessing. Then Rebekah and her maids rose up, mounted the camels, and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had come from that place and was settled in the Negev. Isaac went out in the evening to walk in the field, and looking up, he saw camels coming. And Rebecca looked up, and when she saw Isaac, she slipped quickly from the camel and said to the servant, Who is the man over there walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It's my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. That's a good reminder, by the way. This is the Middle East. And her servant told Isaac all the things that he had done, which, mercifully, the author of Genesis does not recount in detail here. <laughs> we got it. Then Isaac <laughs> brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. He took Rebecca. And she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Um, So, this is like its own story. This does not really advance the Abraham narrative, really, Uh, but it does indicate something culturally. So, uh, it it reflects most likely uh, an aversion to Canaanite influence. This is a, a later a later development. I mean, it, I'm not saying it didn't happen this way. Abraham probably did uh, want a, a wife for his son that was from his hometown, right? He, he wanted to keep that Aramean influence. But remember that when these stories are told, it's centuries later. So we're talking about something that happened, gosh, I don't know, 700 years or something before it's being told right here. And when it's being told, uh, this is probably during the kingdom era when there was a fair amount of concern about mixing of religions and mixing of tribes. And so, uh, when Abraham said, Abraham, well, who knows if Abraham actually said it, but this author has Abraham say, don't get him a Canaanite. I don't want one of those dang Canaanites for my son. (laughs) So, um. It doesn't really, again, it doesn't advance theologically the narrative, uh, but it does indicate that cultural concern to some extent. And then there's an interesting point in verse 27, so where the servant says, uh, Blessed be the Lord, uh, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken a step out. Um, As for me, the Lord has led me on the way to the house of my master's kin. You guys see that at the end of that verse? The Lord has led me. And then again, in 48, he says, and I bowed my head, and um, I blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me. Um, that that doesn't appear, that verb, that particular verb does not appear anywhere else in Genesis. It's a very specific verb. And it's the one that shows up in Psalm 23. He leads me beside, still pastor. Yeah, yeah. So there's like a this notion of God leading us is, a, is an important one. It's a little bit of a complicated one because there's an interplay between free will and God's desire for us or, or our response to God's leading. Like It's both and. Uh, but the fact that God had a hand in choosing Rebecca is another theological point that this author is making. So um, she doesn't we're not looking very good in what we're about to read, but it's clear that God is um, at work in this union. So that the God who called Abraham out of um, his homeland and led him to the promised land and promised the heir uh, also is leading and blessing this next generation. And we're going to hear, even though the next generation is extremely complicated and problematic still God's blessing and leading and provision is going to apply so that God's promise is not dependent upon the uh, moral character (laughs) the um, the behavior necessarily of the people who are inheriting that promise which is good news (laughs) right that God remains true to God's promise and in this case, it's, it's multiple generations, from the paragon of faithfulness, to a character we don't hear a whole lot about, to the rascal we're actually focusing on this weekend next. Okay, so we uh, wrapped up with Abraham's death last week, and now we get into the story of Jacob. So this is going to be starting with 20, chapter 25, verse 19. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of that Aramean, sister of Laban, that other Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because he was, she was barren. have heard that before. That's a theme. Uh, and the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife Rebekah conceived. So the God that was faithful to the promise to Abraham is not going to let the promise die in the next generation. Isaac has to have kids. The children struggled within, within her, and she said, if it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the elder shall serve the younger. Oldest, the firstborn, don't make out great in Genesis. <laughs> Didn't work out well for Ishmael. I mean, it ended up working out fine. But he wasn't the, the child of the blessing, the child of the promise. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out all red, all his body like a hairy mantle, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel. It's foreshadowing of things to come. He didn't get it done in the womb, so he's going to get it done later, by hook or by crook. And his mama's was going to help him. Um, so he was named Jacob. Jacob means, like, you can translate it a bunch of different ways. The one that's, I think, kind of get that his character is some planter. You gotta, I don't know what your study notes say in your Bible, but uh, the one who grasps sometimes is the way it's written. Yeah, he grasps. Or... That says S-U-P-P-L-A-N-T, our supplanter. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, and Rebecca loved Jacob. <laughs> Uh-oh, that's not good, right? Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff for I'm famished. Therefore he was called Edom. There's a whole thing with like the Edomites and Esau, and, but I, we're not going to get into all that. Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. <laughs> Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. So Jacob said, me, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So in there's this ancient, have you guys heard this word? Primogeniture, like that means the dominance of the firstborn, or the primary place of the firstborn. And in biblical times, the firstborn got a double portion. Do you know what that means? So if you have um, two kids... You would divide your estate into threes, and the oldest would get two, and the youngest would get one. So, when what Esau has done here basically is given over this birthright to his uh, brother, his younger brother, only technically younger brother because they're twins, right? But none, younger brother nonetheless. So, um, what's what happens in this weird story? And we used to teach uh, junior high Sunday school when we were very early uh, in the Methodist church. And this came up all the time. <laughs> like, this weird story came up all the time with junior high kids. And they're like, what? This is the weirdest thing. And I'd have to say, yeah, it's kind of the weirdest thing. You're right. Um, but it, it kind of it points out the, the conflict that is going to be kind of at the heart of Jacob's existence. Like, his whole, his whole story is fraught with conflict from the beginning. Or as soon as we start hearing about him. In this case, when he's in the womb, he was already not happy with his place in the world. And one thing that's going on here is, like, this is a human way of looking at it. That the firstborn is the most important. That's that's ancient cultures looked at it that way. So one thing that's going on here is that God doesn't play by human rules. Um even in the case of a rascal like Jacob. So remember this simple uh, idea that we've been talking about, the creator creates creation. What's going to end up happening is that the, the descendant of Abraham, through whom the blessing will continue, is not the person that the world expects because he's not the oldest. That's not the way it's supposed to work out. But this author, writing some number of centuries after the fact, knowing Jacob's story and knowing how complicated a character Jacob is, has to figure out a way to make theological sense of something that shouldn't have been the case in human terms. And um, so maybe this is a story that gets at that fact. I mean, maybe Esau really is that (laughs) simple-minded. that he's hungry, and so he says, fine, you take the double portion, forever. But, regardless, God's, the way God chooses to work, or the way uh, theologically, the promise of God plays out, is not beholden to human rules or norms. Beyond that, it's just a really weird story. Uh, sure, you guys have heard that story before? Yeah. Okay. Chapter 26 is actually the only story in this cycle that's I guess theoretically kind of about Isaac, but it's also kind of about Abimelech. It doesn't really advance the narrative, and so we're gonna skip it. But it's, um, there's, not, there's not a whole lot there. So we're gonna to jump to 27. Don't you think it's interesting that Isaac, the promised heir, doesn't play a very big role? Like he, uh, the, his dad gets a, a lot of, uh, I mean, the, the clear focus for the early part of Genesis, And Jacob ends up playing a really prominent role because there are a lot of chapters devoted to his story. But Isaac is just kind of this forgotten, dropped out thing in the middle. I don't know, that's interesting. He must not have had a very big impact on anybody. (laughs) He must not, nobody cared to record his story. So, 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, uh, he called his elder son Esau and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, See, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Then prepare for me savory food, such as I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, their son, Pretty sure. I heard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare me savory food to eat so that I may bless you before the Lord uh, before the Lord before I die. Now therefore my son, obey my word as I command you, go to the flock and get me two choice kids so that I may prepare them for, uh, for from them savory food for your father such as he likes, and you shall take it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to his mother, Rebecca, look my brother Esau is a hairy man. And I am a man of smooth skin. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. His mother said, well, I got that covered too. Let your, <laughs> let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my word and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebecca took the best garments of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house and put them on her younger son Jacob. And she put uh, the skins of the kids on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the savory food and the bread that she had prepared to her son, Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? (laughs) he answered, Oh, because the Lord granted me, Lord God granted me success. I'll be dragging God into this. Jeez Louise. (laughs) And then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. I mean, this is a really weird story, right? This author could not have had a high opinion of very many of these characters. Right, I mean, Isaac comes across like a total knucklehead. Rebecca, like what? He, that poor old guy. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I guess, but I feel like I don't know. I, this shouldn't be so easy to trick him. I wouldn't think. I mean, I don't know. That, you can write, you can read Isaac more sympathetically than Rebecca. That's for sure. Rebecca is uh, a tough tough character. So Jacob went up to his father Isaac, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, (laughs) but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it to him, and he ate And he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him, and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven, and of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you, and the nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. I like Isaac less now, because that's not a great, like, your sons. I don't know, it's it's this weird family dynamic where there's conflict and there's rivalry and there's uh, unresolved uh, grasping that is actually here finally resolved with the help of a mother who, for some reason, chooses one son over the other. And I think there's a couple of ways to read this we' We'll finish the story, but so we're a little more than halfway through Genesis, and the theme has been pretty consistent that God desires what is good for creation, and creation has a really hard time choosing the things that are good and that's just a It's just over and over and over again. Isaac is the one whose dad tied him up on an altar and holding a knife over his head, so he's got some trauma. <laughs> And now on his deathbed, he offers a blessing to his son, which is a beautiful thing, but it's a blessing that includes a curse of the other son. And he thinks he's, like, but he ends up blessing the wrong one and cursing the wrong one. Why are you cursing anybody? Is what I want to ask Isaac. Like, what are you doing here? What's going on? Well, this is where it's good to remember that this is not an account, like the biographer's not sitting by the deathbed watching this unfold and writing about it. These are stories that have been passed down over generations and centuries, and that are finally written probably at a time when the person doing the writing does not have a high opinion of those blankety-blank Edomites who trace their lineage to Esau. (laughs) I mean, history gets written by the winners. Scripture also ultimately gets uh, written by people who have the power. Yeah, yes. So the Hittites are the problem. <laughs> right, I mean, that, that section says, for in my Bible says Esau's Hittite wives. Can't always blame it on the in-laws, the outlaws. Yeah, so she's got feelings about it, clearly. But it still seems like a, I mean, this is a pretty serious thing, this notion of who becomes the heir. And it's, once again, it's the, the conflict In our human systems that show up over and over again in one form or fashion going all the way back to Cain and Abel in the prehistory well let's see how Esau takes the news spoiler alert not good not well verse 30 as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of his father Isaac his brother Esau came in from his hunting. He also prepared savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father sit up and eat of his son's game so that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? (laughs) He doesn't say who are you my son, by the way. That's what he said the first time. Who are you? Which means that, may I have lost his sense of smell, maybe? Yeah, that's funny. Or, I mean, he, he must assume it's Jacob, right? I mean, who else would be in the scene? Because Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. That was before the Hittite wives came, too. He answered him, I'm your firstborn son, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I had blessed him? Yes, and blessed he shall be. It's like a wish. You can't take it back. I'm kidding. Why like, why can't you fix it? <laughs> right? You've been deceived. Why? I guess that's just the way it worked. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, "Bless me, me also, father." It's really it's really heartrending, right? I mean, I don't know. It's, uh... but he said your brother came deceitfully and he's taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, (laughs) the supplanter, he who grasps? Or there you go. For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. Now, Esau, come on, let's be honest. You gave away your birthright because you wanted that stew. And look, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered, Esau, I have already made him your Lord, and I have given him all his brothers as servants. And with grain and wine I have, I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, father? Bless me also, father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then his father Isaac answered him, See, away from the fatness of the earth your home shall, shall your home be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And when you break loose, you, sh- uh, he- you shall break his yoke from your neck. Um, yeah, I mean we've seen brotherly strife before Cain and Abel. I mean it's, it's a it's a similar a similar thing unfolds. And so now in in forty one, now Esau hated Jacob, and because of uh, because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him, and Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother. Jacob, but the words of her elder son, Esau were told to Rebekah, <laughs> so she went and called the younger son, Jacob, and said to him, "Your brother Esau, is consoling himself by planning to kill you now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran, and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger against you turns away, and he forgets what you have done to him. I don't think that's going to happen, but okay." <laughs> Then I will send and bring you back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Why should I lose both of you in one day? That's interesting. That's interesting. So she lost Esau because, why? Yeah, I mean, that's, so she didn't really lose him so much as chased him away, <laughs> right? Then Rebecca said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the Hittite women. There you go, How? If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women such as these of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Those dang Hittites. Now I promise you that so if this happens here I promise you that whoever is writing this down here had some nasty Hittite (laughs) (laughs) in-laws. Had to have. Had to have. (laughs) So Whatever, okay, whatever, in all seriousness, whatever Isaac's like physical failings, unable to uh, see what's happening, make sense of what's happening, and whatever Rebecca's feelings about um, the life that Esau's chosen, regardless of all that, Jacob is a pretty complicated person. I mean, he's, he, uh, he stole, he did steal his brother's birthright, now I did it by negotiation, it wasn't deceitful. But then the stealing of the blessing is just an outright deceit in cahoots with his mother. And um, we're we're going to spend two weeks on Jacob because his story is so uh, compelling. I mean, do you, you guys know what how Jacob eventually becomes known? Like you know what his new name is? Israel. 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 So the namesake. For the chosen people ends up being this guy, which is perhaps a very self-aware <laughs> um, theological point that the what Brueggemann calls the theologians of Israel are making. Um, he's going to wrestle with God at Peniel, and he's going to win, and he's going to get a limp. And he's going to get a new name. And this supplanter, this person who's extremely problematic, is in conflict with everybody, ends up becoming the person for whom the nation is named. And I think there's I just feel like we need to wrestle with that a little bit. Because you know, David, for all of his uh flaws, specifically with Bathsheba and He's not a great dad, as it turns out, either that seems to be a theme um, but he had very clear positive traits. I mean he unified the nation he he uh conquered the land like he he built the kingdom like he he had plenty going for him. Jacob is a schemer from before the time he's born, so what does that mean? And what does that mean for? God's faithfulness to to us despite our flaws. I mean, it says a lot about God's grace, I think, for sure. But of all the characters in Genesis, he is the most problematic. Yeah. What's the point? Like, what's the theological point of that? Right. It's a great question. So, um, I was I'm reading Brueggemann's commentary as I've said several times now, and the way he describes it, and I'm not I'm not not entirely settled about this. Be honest. Turn back to 25 real quick. So this is the when Esau and Jacob are, are born, in chapter 25, verse 23. So, Rebecca is having problems with the pregnancy, and she goes to God and says, I don't think I can do this. Like, I didn't want to be barren, but wow, this is really bad. What's going on? And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you Shall be divided. That certainly explains something that does end up happening two tribes that end up at, at odds. The one shall be stronger than the other, the elder shall serve the younger. What Brugemann calls that in all of the subsequent commentary work is an oracle that God is saying that's what's going to happen as though God is at work in that, which I think is, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that, to be honest with you. I read that as an omniscient God knowing what's going to happen and just describing what is going to happen. But there's nothing of God's purpose in that. And yet the rest of these, the chapters that we've read tonight or this afternoon, you know, depending on how you read the Bible, depending on how you read the agency of God and all this, God's hand could be at work in this. That's, but that's really, I don't know. That's really, what do y'all think? Let make you comfortable Do you think God is at work in Jacob's deceit? And what I mean by that is, So maybe she is um, helping bring into existence what God had, what we understood God to be predicting. Yeah. But, but if I'm just super uncomfortable with this, and I, I'm, I'm, I am, um, honestly, I'm, I'm show, <laughs> Billy Abraham. do you know the name Billy Abraham? Professor at, at Perkins, one of the finest human beings I've ever met, pushed me intellectually, died this week suddenly. Oh, yes, he died Thursday. But Billy used to say, oh, I, I really do love that guy. Um, sorry, he's, he's in glory, so he's good. Uh, but he used to say, I'm showing my theological underwear. And he, and, he had a, and he had Irish, he was from Ireland, so he had this really beautiful Irish lilt. So I'm, I'm showing my own bias here, that I'm, that this notion that God causes this kind of thing really just really makes me uncomfortable, but you can clearly be a faithful Christian and believe that. I'm just saying that doesn't make me comfortable, but here's, there's, for me, you know, there's these two different concepts, Kairos and Kronos. Kronos is time as we experience it. It unfolds. Like right now is earlier than it will be at six o'clock, like I, I can only experience time in a linear fashion. Kairos is God's time, and God is not bound by Kronos. So that when, when, when Scripture says, you know, God knows all the numbers of our days, it's not that God kills us on day 1,200 or whatever the day is. It's that God knows that that's our last day ahead of time. So when I read something like this that Brueggemann calls an oracle, I think, well, I mean, God sees that Jacob is a piece of work, and Rebecca's Yeah, Yeah, so the question is um, if a much later author is writing from the perspective, say, of the southern tribes, and they have a conflict with the northern tribes, which would include Esau and his descendants, then wouldn't it naturally be the case that the people in Jerusalem who trace their lineage through Jacob would have to somehow explain how all that happened. Like, what you're, the the point of your, the bottom line of your question is what part of this is human, human interpretation of what of a story that's been passed down, and what percentage is the revelation of God that has really important theological underpinnings, which is also your question about, like, what's the big deal with the birthright? Like, I don't get it. Yeah, for sure. We'll worry that. So, yeah. so there's definitely something in Jacob that leads to his success, even if it's by maybe unsavory means, right? For sure. But it's a it's a it's that's always the question we need to ask: what percentage, like what of this, is a human author slash editor <clears throat> um, kind of interpreting history through its his own his Almost certainly his own lens for his own place and time, and what percentage of it is this theology that was uh, revealed to characters along the way who kept it alive, storytelling around the fireplace, and then ends up in the hands of a scribe with a pen. And I think that is kind of a core issue of biblical interpretation. Um, but I, because I, I read this as a 21st century Christian and think, just fix it, Isaac. <laughs> he lied to you. Take it back. This—it's not magic. That's true. So yeah, we—it could be a connection between, like, um, the way Isaac has chosen to bless Jacob could be a reflection of God's blessing on the—you know—the promise and the heir that ends up coming down through Jacob. That's there's certainly part of it that, that that's true. But I'm clearly not finished in my own head. Settled in my own head, wrestling with these stories, other than to be, uh, to find it very hopeful that this if this character can end up being the namesake for the chosen people, then I might turn out okay, (laughs) because I've never done anything like that, (laughs) it might be okay for me. Right, yes, and that does for sure end up happening, the split between the two nations, no question about that. Um, so then the, then the question becomes, uh, is that, because that's, those are words on the lips of God. So that's, even, even the storyteller, even the, the authors and editors in the Bible that are most biased for their own particular view um, are reluctant to speak for God. So is, I would be really curious to talk to the first person who got that story. <laughs> who, got, who got the scoop on that? Because Rebecca was long dead by the time, uh, by the time that story got written. I, the other fun thing to, to watch or to read would be the book that end, ends up in Esau's family. <laughs> yeah, how? 100%. First he chases after those Hittite women. And now, and now, in Ishmael's line, what is going on with Esau? why he ends up looking so bad in the story <laughs> how you got us up to that point so i am going to go to no that's good that's good we're gonna go to the next verse by the way i forgot i should mention you can read in hebrews 11 and 12 and then romans 9 new testament interpretations about what's going on here with esau and, and uh jacob uh, but that's way 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 down the line uh, so Hebrews 11, 20 and 21, and then Hebrews 12, 12 and 17, 12 to 17, uh, and then Paul and Romans 9, 6 to 13, tries to make sense of how Israel, th- not all of it deal with some of the, specifically the questions we're talking about, but it's, those are verses that explore some of what's going on here with Esau and Jacob. Um, all right, let's, let's do, yeah, we got time. So twenty eight ten. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, because he's going to meet his uncle, Laban, and that's going to get complicated too. We'll read that next week. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place, and he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This, of course, is Jacob's ladder. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Listen, this is the promise that he made to Abraham. It's Isaac's kind of a no-show but god's not going to go back on the promise just because jacob imperfect it would, would be a very generous word just because jacob's imperfect doesn't mean that god's going to go back on that promise god made this promise to abraham god fully intends to keep it this is Lorraine, you're alluding to your the blessing of god like there's that's that's a uh, not it's, it's not going to be revoked know that i am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There is this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head, and set it up for a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, uh, that means house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. God, he's a mess. Like he gets a revelation from God. And he's like, you know what? Fine. As long as you hold up your end of the bargain, I guess I'll go along with it. He's incorrigible. Um, so that I may come again in peace. Yeah, I well, I was If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. Might as well end on a stewardship note there, (laughs) since the stewardship's... (laughs) Right? That's the Holy Spirit right there. That is the Holy Spirit. Um, but in all seriousness, so, so Bethel, there is a historical thing with the house of Bethel. We, we'll get into some, uh, that some more next week. But I, this is the first—I I love Genesis, and the prehistory is so important, and uh, Abraham's story is amazing— And then Jacob gets complicated, and um, I guess that's part of the deal, right? Uh, I'll tell you what, let me offer a prayer before we go. I I don't think I prayed before we started. I'm going to write this guy's name down. He was really just a terrific guy. Billy was the evangelism professor at Perkins School of Theology when I was there. He retired last year and went to become, I think, dean maybe at Truett at Baylor. Methodist from Ireland, uh, he was my professor for systematics and systematics is the course in seminary where for a whole year you have two professors teaching you the basics of the christian faith um, and so typically what they do is they do a, a more liberal or progressive professor and a more conservative or orthodox professor and uh, they 're all friends because they have all talked together for a long time, so they have these they have the ability to have these very respectful, but very direct uh, conversations about the nature of God and the nature of evil and the, the person of Christ. It was, it's just, it's like intellectually, uh, easily, easily the most intellectually exhilarating year of my life. And what you would do, Billy's pretty conservative, um, very orthodox. And he was taught with a, um, a black woman, an African-American woman, who was a a womanist theologian. That's very progressive theology, kind of feminist. There's a lot going on there. They could not have been more different in the way they approached any problem, but it was really a thing of beauty to watch them present these concepts side by side, always respectfully. It was a great model for all of us. Um, But his lecture on the atonement um, was the best lecture I've ever heard in my life. I recorded it, I've listened to it several times since. and he's just—he had a way of—and uh, like you'd have the big room like this. There'd be like seventy people. They would do their lecture, and then you would break out into small groups, and you would have to write a paper and present it. And one semester you were with Karen. One p- semester you were with Billy. Oh my God! And when you were with Billy, he—he he was a philosophy major at Oxford. I mean, brilliant man. He put you through your paces, but you always kind of laughed at the end because you know he just was so charming, like uh, you know, Irish. So, uh, anyway, I'm going to say a prayer. If you would hold his family in uh, your prayers, his daughter, I never know how to say this name. You guys know how to say that name? Siobhan. That's his daughter. Um, and she posted something on Facebook. He lost a, a, a son, tragically, uh, a few years back. I, I was close enough to Billy. I brought him out to Henrietta, and we he did a revival for us out there with that Irish lilt. And those... Those folks in West Texas, which which culturally Clay County is, had no idea what to do with this Irishman. who was, uh, you know, but such a great guy. So let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for uh, the time to gather and to wrestle with these, uh, these texts that are the most foundational and important texts in our lives. We know that they reveal... most important things that we need to know about you, and then there's a lot of other weird stuff in there. And uh, we give you thanks for the freedom and the power of your Holy Spirit to make sense of it all. Uh, Today, we hold in prayer, especially Billy Abraham, his family. We know that he has gone on to glory, and we give you thanks for that. But we pray for his uh, family and his friends and his colleagues who mourn his sudden passing. Uh, May his life continue to, to be a light to the students he taught. And may... Uh, You continue to bless the world through his, not just his writings, but also his students uh, in whose spirit he certainly lives on. Guide us and guard us as we leave this place, and may uh, everything that we do in some way give glory to your Son. In his name we pray.